Hello, this is the Hunter Street Chronicle, and I'm Colin Chapika. Welcome back from the void. Thanks again for everybody who is listening, and for those who listened to the premiere last Wednesday, I send you my warmest regards and appreciation for your kind, wonderful feedback. Uh, very happy to know that I at least got some wheels turning somewhere, and I know mine need a little bit of grease. So, again, thank you for all your feedback. I'm excited to begin networking and branching out in this community and, and having a lot of fun. Honestly, this is kind of strange for me. It's weird to have to talk at first into a microphone and then for anyone who's actually had a real conversation with me, it, it turns into me trying to focus all the thoughts into my head and I end up looking at the wall and ranting and raving. Um, so, so I apologize if it does seem to veer off track, but eventually I will get to the point. Like, for instance... Feel free to email me at HunterStreetChronicle at gmail.com uh, if you have any music, event, uh, cool talent, uh, if you want to be on the show, if you have something to contribute, if you want me to say hi to your mom, we can definitely figure that out and it would be a lot of fun to begin sharing this with everyone. Again, thank you very much for tuning in. This Second episode is going to be a little bit more structured, probably a little bit longer, and definitely a lot of fun. Alright everybody, it is time for me to give you a rundown of the big music events of the summer in Peterborough that I myself am personally beyond incredibly excited for. Um, first one I want to let everybody know about, uh, it's a perfect little-known gem about the Peterborough music scene is that in the summertime every Friday night you can make your way down to the Holiday Inn on George Street and they have the gazebo in the back and every Friday night like I said they have wonderful blues musicians they open the season every year like they did last Friday with Jack DeKaiser who is an incredibly talented and gifted blues musician next Friday they have Jerome Godbow who plays a fantastically aggressively mean harmonica and will definitely shake your, the blues down to your core. The next event I really want to let everybody know about because I am personally super excited about is the Little Lake Music Fest or the Peterborough Music Fest opening act on June 25th with local Peterborough and area legend Serena Ryder. Serena Ryder is a fantastic folk musician who has recently hit the radio with a ton of really cool rock songs that I'm super excited to see played live. And of course, that event is free all summer long. And every Wednesday and Friday night, starting June 25th, like I said, there will be some great music. Serena Ryder's kicking it off. I know Hey Rosetta, which is a really cool band that I'm really excited for, is playing there as well. And frankly, those are just two of the bands that are huge and that I'm very excited for, which brings me to what I am super excited to announce. Again, is free, and I saw this on Facebook, and they certainly did a good job this year for the lineup for the Peterborough Folk Festival, which is at Nichols Oval from August 19th to the 21st. 
They have an opening act, which is so incredible. I'm going to see them at Way Home, and I'm just so happy that they're visiting us here in Peterborough. Bahamas will be opening the Peterborough Folk Festival, and then, of course, the weekend carries on, and you can go to Nichols Oval and shop at the local vendors, explore the Peterborough culture in the beautiful, beautiful Del Crary Park, not Del Crary, Nichols Oval, and then just walk around and experience beautiful local music, as well as music from Yukon Blonde, the Born Ruffians, and closing off the festival is Dan Mangan, who is a phenomenal phenomenally wonderful folk musician that I am extremely excited for. So those are the big, big ones that I'm excited for. Um, if there are any other ones that you think people should know about, feel free to let me know and I will send them out to the world. Um, and if, you, if your band's got some cool shows, that would be fantastic as well. Let me know um, and we can definitely get some, some cross-marketing going. Alright, so the first thing I want to talk about, and if anybody knows me, it's politics. Um, yay, young people! Um, Elections Canada is just reporting an 18% voter turnout increase in the ages of 18 to 24. So that means the youth vote got mobilized and active in the last election in 2015, where Justin Trudeau swooped in and took the prize, and I think that has everything to do with us. Um, there was a total of 57.1% of all youth ages 18 to 24 years old who voted in the last election, and frankly, that's phenomenal. That's the largest number they have seen since they've been tracking the stats, and frankly, it's it's a good thing for us because I don't think the states would, or at least Donald Trump in the states wouldn't be doing as well as he did if the youth was a little bit more mobilized down there, but he certainly knows how to mobilize a particular crowd. Uh, basically, that just means we have power. We need to vocalize concerns, but, I mean, what do you want to see change? and uh, Get it out there and talk to people and post it on Facebook. Post your concerns out there because it will be noticed. And frankly, if we can get enough people behind one issue, we can get pretty much anything we wanted done. That being said, um, I just want to let everybody know this uh, This little thing came up last week, um, and it's it's the Canadian government's new law on assisted suicide. Um, and a per pretty much uh, for a long time in Canada, suicide and aiding in suicide was punishable by law, but in February, the Supreme Court ruled that that ban was unconstitutional. Uh, there was a large case um, that took a long time to be settled, but the Supreme Court eventually made the decision that the ban on assisted to suicide was un unconstitutional and that the government needed some time to come up with a new legislation. Um, and that was four months ago, and it came out last week that the government decided that um, in order to have access to doctor-assisted suicide, it must be a natural death that must be foreseeable in the near future. Uh, that being said, it must be a terminal and uncurable disease, which I think is only half the battle. Now this bill is extremely controversial, um, the idea being that if you are in a hospital, you, you suffer from a condition that really you don't see any end to, um, that the government has given you a right to request from your doctor that you be put out of your misery, so to speak. However, the stipulation is, is that you must be dying in the relative near future and that disease that you're suffering from must be uncurable. And like I said, that's only half the point of this bill because, frankly, I mean, it, it it's 
if we have the right to live, then we then we have the right to choose to die. And it, it's not exactly fair for the government to say for someone who has a curable disease but uh, doesn't have a very high chance at a good quality end of life or palliative care, then frankly it's not it's not fair for them to kind of milk money out of someone who is dying um, but has the chance to be cured even if they don't necessarily want to be. Um, uh, we all remember Justin Trudeau elbowing the, the, the other MP in the House of Commons. This was because that bill was going to be discussed and he really needed to get someone up to speak to the Speaker and the NDP was blocking um, the, the representative from bringing this issue to light in the House of Commons and that's why that whole thing went down. Um, my position is, is frankly, it should be, this, this bill should be less restrictive. Um, it's not fair that the disease has to be terminal and, um, and non-curable, because frankly, the Supreme Court the, uh, reviewed evidence and it showed that countries with, uh, with good regulation of doctor-assisted suicide have a higher quality of palliative or end-of-life care in their hospitals, as well as there is a plethora of evidence that shows people who are vulnerable or at risk of taking advantage of the doctor-assisted suicide have no increase of risk of doing something that might be regrettable. So there is no concern for people going into the hospital and committing suicide just because they're having a bad day. There's no way in hell a doctor would ever allow that to happen. Um, so pretty much it's, 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 a sad, it's a sad day to know that our government tr was trying to do something progressive but some, some morals and some old traditional values got in the way but that being said I saw some interviews with some politicians saying that this bill will be contested again very soon and frankly it is a step in the right direction for Canada. Alright, now it's time for my favorite segment, I guess the most consistent segment there is in the show, seeing as this is the, only the second episode, today's word of the day. The word of the day today is MKUltra. Now, that seems like some crazy space-age computer code, but actually it's, it's more along the lines of some crazy top-secret military program, so everybody put on your tinfoil hats, because I've certainly got mine on. We're going to be talking about some crazy stuff. MKUltra was a top-secret military-funded program uh, that was run by the CIA, but funded by the U.S. and Canadian government during 1953 that ran all the way until 1973. And now, to understand why this program seemed appropriate, uh, we need to understand that this was the height of the Cold War, which was democracy versus that evil communist threat. Um, after World War II and the defeat of the Nazis, uh, the U.S. government decided that Stalin and his communist ways were the biggest threat to a stable North America, so therefore the U.S. was going to stop at nothing to remove and, and demonstrate that the communism it was just wasn't allowed. For instance, all kinds of propaganda, like this video on how to spot your local communist. Therefore, propaganda is vastly more important in democratic societies. In recognizing a communist, physical appearance counts for nothing. If he openly declares himself to be a communist, we take his word for it. If a person consistently reads and advocates the views expressed in a communist publication, he may be a communist. If a person supports organizations which reflect communist teachings, or organizations labeled communist by the Department of Justice, 
she may be a communist. If a person defends the activities of communist nations while consistently attacking the domestic and foreign policy of the United States, she may be a communist. The Cold War was a crazy fucking time. It was the race of nations, the U.S. versus the USSR, uh, anything from weapons manufacturing to the space race to, to dominating foreign countries and, 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 and imposing a certain way of life upon them. Um, as well as in science, psychology was a very new and exciting field of research. Uh, the Cold War was then used as an excuse to fund any possible benefit that psychology could provide to the anti-communist effort, which leads us finally to MKUltra. MKUltra, um, and this is a quotation from, from someone who worked on the program, was a research and development program for the development of chemical, biological, and radiological materials to control human behavior. Yes, we're talking about mind control. Um, it, very, very popular topic, and plausible topic for people during the Cold War. Uh, there's a great movie called The Manchurian Candidate, which came out in 62 and stars Frank Sinatra, which popularized the idea that the government could take in agents and wipe them clean and impose a certain anti-communist agenda that could be triggered at any point to take down the threat from the inside. Um, from 1953 to 1973, 44 U.S. universities conducted mind control experiments, often on people who had no idea what was going on. That included dosing victims with all kinds of drugs that were just becoming new and exciting, from magic mushrooms that were just being found and harvested and synthesized into psilocybin, as well as the infamous LSD, which was a key point of interest for the CIA. Um, LSD was first discovered by Albert Hoffman, a Swiss scientist, um, in 1938, where he was working with some plant funguses and was able to synthesize, the, for the first time, LSD. And for whatever reason, he abandoned the project for five years, uh, came back in 1943 to reopen research, and then accidentally ingested a dose of LSD. Uh, no doubt it was freaking out, had no idea what was going on, but then, of course, three days later, on April 19th in 1943, what is now known as Bicycle Day, Hoffman intentionally dosed himself and reported a mind-expanding experience on his bike ride home. From there, Hoffman project, pre researched and experimented and, and proposed that LSD was, was something that would expand consciousness and from there went into a lot of research on what LSD did to the mind. Well, once the CIA caught wind of Hoffman's experiments and the reports that he was, he was leaving about its, its potential mind-altering capabilities, uh, they absolutely jumped on it. They wanted to, A, see if it, it, it was the key to unlocking human mind control as well as to keep it out of the hands of the dirty old Russians who were also probably going to use it for mind control. 
Um, the first trials done by the CAA, CIA were done on unwitting and unvulnerable, which means lower class victims. Uh, so pretty much they set up secret rooms in hotels and apartments and would go down to a bar and and pick a prostitute or the, or the drunk or whoever and take them back up to the ho hotel room and give them a drink, which was laced with LSD, and then reported the results and the reactions and the behavior of the person, the victim, who unwittingly had just ingested a psychoactive drug. Um, those trials went on for a little bit in secret. Uh, it wasn't until one CIA employee who was dosed unwittingly after the experiment committed suicide and left a letter saying how much distress and and pain the experimentation that he had no idea about was done on him and that was something that was kept under the rug for about 20 years before the CIA was revealed to have been doing these crazy crazy unethical experiments on people who had no idea what was going on. Since the suicide obviously would have been bad press, uh, the CIA decided to move its research into universities and colleges, paying the, the licensed psychiatrists and psychologists there to do work on patients and victims. Um, the craziest experiments, I think, were done right here in Canada, in Montreal, at McGill University. Um, these experiments were originally funded by the CIA, but once the Canadian government figured out that they were being done, the Canadian government decided to fund another $500,000 into the project. Um, all, a lot of research was done at the Allen Memorial Psychiatric Hospital at McGill, um, which, and what's really crazy is that these tests were done during and right after the Nuremberg trials in Nazi Germany, which laid out the rules and the policies and the ethical considerations one must take when experimenting on humans and their minds. Considering the gravity of the situation in Germany, you would think that the people back over in North America would want to stay away from that kind of thing, but after the trials wrapped up, these experiments continued. Um, it was found that LSD had real no really no potential to to influence or control people's behavior. They found that there was just too much collateral damage uh, for the for the victims. Could you imagine? Just you're in a hospital being treated for some sort of mental illness, and then you get dosed with with something that you have no idea what's going on. They don't tell you what's going on, and you're left in a room, isolated, strapped to a chair for 6 to 12 hours, and they're just marking your reactions, observations, and behavior while you're tripping out and possibly seeing something that you could, your brain in a normal state couldn't possibly perceive, and these poor people were left to their own devices and used as guinea pigs. Um, once they realized the LSD had no, no potential, um, one of the psychiatrists there moved into what is really crazy and what he called depatterning. Um, the idea was depatterning, the goal was to wipe the human brain clean, to keep a sense of self, but to essentially create a blank slate that you could impose any memory, idea, thought, pattern, or behavior onto. Uh, the way this was done is subjects were kept 
to sleep and then given 20 times higher of, than the standard shock for electroconvulsive therapy, close to three to five times a day, and then were put again to sleep. The idea was this shock therapy-induced amnesia in which the patient was pretty much just left a vegetable who with no coherence for time, space, or understanding. From there, um, the, the psychiatrist decided that this is the perfect time to implant any thought, memory, or behavior pattern onto a person. Again, this program was funded by the CIA, the U.S., and Canadian government, and they were experimenting on people using 20 times the standard shock and basically frying people's brains. Psychic driving is honestly one of the most terrifying concepts. It comes straight out of a movie or Call of Duty Black Ops. It's the idea that you are subjected to, and some people were, possibly up to 15 hours of tapes being played over and over and over again with the idea of trying to implant a certain idea or anti-communist agenda into your mind. Um, it, it was... It was pitched to the patients as a treatment um, in the same way that taking an antidepressant or using electroshock therapy was pitched and it, it became very clear that this treatment did a lot more damage than actual benefit um, and was soon forgotten about after the head psychiatrist left the research hospital. The experiments were conducted up until 1973, um, and then in a massive, massive paranoid fit that came from the Watergate, Watergate scandal, the CIA ordered the destruction of pretty much all the MK Ultra records. Um, there was a lot of lawsuits that followed the revelation of this actually happening, and a lot of people were shocked. People in Canada pretty much ignored it until about 1984, when it was revealed that the Canadian government was directly involved in funding these terrifying experiments. Um, there were no criminal charges ever laid. Uh, the Canadian government had to settle 127 different cases out of court, um, and apparently they just gave him $100,000 each and told him, thanks for your time, and try not to tell anybody about this. Um, this story really, really interests me. I first heard about it when I was watching a crazy horror movie called The Banshee Chapter, which is about uh, people taking DMT, which is the chemical found in your brain when you die, and the idea of taking this super highly concentrated and natural DMT opens you up and allows you to see and transmit messages from the beings from the other world. And when in all reality, this project was just frankly inhumane and unethical and something that caused a lot of pain and a lot of misery for a lot of people. But another really interesting part, uh, following, following LSD being used in the MK Ultra trials, um, it was being transported to university campuses across the United States for these trials, and it wasn't until the researchers themselves started to take it did they realize that 
maybe this has nothing to do with what we think it can do, and maybe it's just a lot of fun. And that's how U.S. counterculture rose out of what seemed like nothing. The U.S. pretty much gave the, the young people who were craving a revolution the perfect tool to jump off and use as a catalyst to think in a new way that had never been thought before. So, frankly, the U.S. government is directly responsible for, for the counterculture that rose up against it during the 60s, which is pretty damn funny to me. Of course, with any scandal uh, that involves the government doing something that the people were not aware of, there has been an incredible amount of, of conspiracy theories that have risen out of this. Um, the biggest one I, I saw after perusing the, the YouTube documentaries about it was obviously the Illuminati is still still using these techniques, using the puppets of, of the United States government um, to, to, to control and manipulate people's minds, and you can see videos of alleged MK Ultra patient slip-ups, um, and it, it's a, frankly a very interesting culture to get into, is the idea that there is a, a, a race of lizard-esque people controlling the United States government known as the Illuminati. Frankly, I haven't gotten too much into it, but if I leave this tinfoil hat on for too long, I'm sure it will be bound to happen. So that's MK Ultra, everybody. Um, pretty cool stuff. I'm really, really interested in this whole backdoor dealing shady shit that our government always seems to get into. And that pretty much does it for this week's show. Um, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, again, I really appreciate any feedback or support or even constructive criticism that you send my way. It's really a lot of fun for me to do this. Um, still feels weird, but hey, hopefully people feel weird while they're listening. <laughs> um, seriously, share this with your friends. I really would appreciate that. Um, it looks like there was about 50 to 60 people who, who listened to this last week, so hopefully we can do that again. Um, and honestly, contact me either on Facebook or, or at Hunter Street Chronicle at gmail.com if you want to talk about something, if you want an issue raised. Um, politics is something I'm really keen about, so if there's something that doesn't really make a lot of sense to you, for instance, like the U.S. election, I would be more than happy to talk about that. Um, I'm going to leave you guys this week with a track from one of my favorite local bands. They're called Caulfield. Um, they've been around, they've been playing shows for as long as I can remember in Peterborough, and they have a really cool sound for a three-piece band. Uh, they really an EP about a year ago and they're currently working their asses off on a stellar album that I'm super excited for. Um, they're recording it at Echo Studios with the lovely Riley Farmer um, and that's where this was recorded as well. So as I leave you off into the void, uh, I'm going to leave you with my friend's lovely voices from Caulfield. This is Zeppelin. Thanks everybody.
So simple. 